This week's podcast comes from the International Conference on the Cold Chain. We had a panel discussion about projects on clean and efficient refrigeration solutions for the food and healthcare sectors in developing countries. Our panelists discussed major issues Sustainable cold chains matter uh, a lot. Uh, we know they reduce food loss and waste in a population where the population is increasing and many people still go hungry. We know sustainable cold chains can help increase farmers' incomes. And we know they reduce emission of greenhouse gases and contribute to solving our climate crisis. Uh, why are we not seeing a rapid scale up of cold chain, uh, sustainable cold chain? So I hope that we can discuss this with our uh, expert panel today. Uh, we have with us Leo Joseph Blitz from uh, SMAP and World Bank Group, Olivier Dubois from FAO, Ayman uh, El Taouni from UNEP, and Brian Holuch from the Africa Center on uh, Sustainable Cooling and Cold Chain and uh, UNEP. So maybe I'll just start with the first general question about various different projects that are uh, helping scale up sustainable cold chain and a need for systems approach. What is the way forward for, for international assistance, since these are all, you're all international assistance organizations, in adopting a more country and needs-driven and systems perspective in, in projects on, on food systems and cold chain? And are there some countries that could be uh, looked at or who could act as, as examples um, for others? Maybe I can start with Leo. Um, it's uh, th thank you so much for the question, Lily. What I really want to emphasize is that absolutely this is essential. There's no um, there's no disagreement that cooperation is needed. But I, what what I'd say we, is very critical is that there are two dimensions of this that we need the actual bottom up country level insights that this work must be grounded in the real examples of individual countries always. There's no room for conceptual cut and pastes or expertise from first world pushed into emerging economies. Um, where I'd say that does come in is the second part of the equation, which is that we really must integrate all of these global lessons and best practices. And the good news is that there are a lot of those um, either well established um, where we can have that transfer. But particularly, and this is where I'd move on to, um, if you like, the, the challenge, how to even know what are the lessons learned and the best practices, I'd say is one of our greatest challenges right now. Um, I'd say to avoid at all costs, isolated and fragmented piecemeal efforts. That's the way forward. And in order to do that, that's where we need the coordination. We need systems between um, systems of communication, but also the humility to recognize that let's not all go out reinventing the wheels, Let's see if we can take someone's wheel, someone else's body, someone else's roadmap, you know, and together create something new. So that's the biggest challenge, I'd say, understanding what the roles are for that. But I would say we need, therefore, to go broad, as we say, um, across different sectors. We need integrated approaches from what we've heard earlier. It really is no good going developing a cold chain if you've got a culture that doesn't recognize the need for cool for chilled produce. It seems very simple, but it's really not, of course. 
And then an example, that's an example of with the broad integration that I'd say that we need. And then there's going deep um, within each of those approaches. Again, as uh, ACES has a lot of this mapped out for us with the systemic approach. Going deep means having a systematic linkage from that farm to fork um, about what is needed. But as the World Bank, I'd say, uh, representing the World Bank, I'm from the SMAP team, which is the specialist team that's supporting the main body of the World Bank investments to, to advise, to inform, to, to help um, you know, support those teams with expert knowledge. What we're really seeing is the need for different kinds of finance, let's say, different kinds of support to solve different problems. It's no good bringing hundreds of million dollars credit schemes which has been a hard wrought um, effort by many projects with the government loans from the World Bank and others. If you don't have an established commercial market where you've already met those companies' needs, say with grants, with pilot project support, with the role for philanthropies and other organizations. So I'd say the need for a roadmap as well for all of us together to define what that is and to allocate roles to actually know where we hand the baton on to one another to build that runway for investment. And as is often said, what is the off-ramp? What's the sustainability approach? When one donor or one project finishes, then ultimately we're seeking, we we need this collaboration uh, in order to reach that sustainable, like steady state where we then hand over to commercial investment and commercial operations, I would say, and then leave that down to different forms of technical support, but no less necessary. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leo. Makes me think of data and roadmaps uh, to allocate roles, to bring people together, um, to make sure it's cross-sectoral, integrated and uh, coordinated. Does that sound similar to what you would say, Ayman, if I can turn to you on on the way forward with regards to international assistance, to supporting uh, countries with more needs-driven and system perspective? Thank you, Lily, and, and thank you for the opportunity to join you today. I totally agree with Leo. He nailed the truth of the real problem, the coordination. And the, we all understand that this sector is fragmented at the national level among different authorities. And currently, the current interventions are usually being led from the environment di- angle or from the energy angle or from the food loss angle. And unless we set the scene for the government, especially in developing countries and working together, then it's going to be always like this and fragmented and continue to be fragmented. This gets us to the uh, area of the data that you've mentioned, Lily, in terms of the availability of data. This is a big question mark in, ev- in all countries, even in industrial countries. The availability of reliable data about the different constituents of the food culture chain subsectors from farm to fork is not that much worldwide and i think it's a, it's a sector that has been only visible to the attention of the global community very recently so there is a lot of initiative being going on but still not yet all streamlined in the right direction the opportunity of providing some kind of a holistic approach like the african center uh, example like the coding action plan example is a good entry point to bring all together in one in, in on one table to start discussing, but before discussing details and actions, you need to have data and information. So the example that we are trying to follow is to build up some kind of a structured data collection, collection methodology to pilot in some countries 
and to see how the picture would look like and this, how this would help countries in identifying the priorities and the gaps. And in doing so, we are trying to do it not only focus on the environment dimension or the refrigerant side, but getting into information as much as feasible, data and information related to energy, economics, environment, as well as food loss. Unless you complete the whole cycle, the decision maker can, cannot see the full uh, angles of the picture and take the right decision. So 100% agree about the importance of the data as a starting point for any uh, meaningful and impactful uh, effort. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ayman. Maybe I can segue to you, Brian. I think in the, the discussion so far, we have heard about this sort of integrated approach, um, as we heard from Leo and echoed again by Ayman, and sort of a systems approach, coordinated approach. I mean, you're doing a lot of that with ACES. And the question here would be maybe from your experience, are there specific areas where there's a need for capacity? building and training more than others. I mean, of course, this whole integrated approach assumes that you need capacity building across the chain, but is there one step on which we should focus our actions more than others as an international community, or would you say it's dependent on the country? I'll give perspectives again for uh, sort of Africa uh, work that we've been doing, but I think some of this applies uh, quite a bit more broadly. So Maybe just to riff quickly on what Ayman had pointed out in terms of cutting across sectors. When we're looking at policy opportunities, it's important that in the case of Rwanda, for example, the National Agricultural Export Board is part of the discussion. But in order to reach target to double uh, food exports or triple food exports road, you have to have the right infrastructure in place. Well, that's the, the Ministry of Infrastructure. Or if we want to think about how do you get better uh, opportunities for aggregation so that you can have a viable market opportunity beyond, say, one value chain uh, in the ag sector. Let's talk to the Ministry of Health. Uh, Ministry of Environment's working on the Montreal Protocol, the refrigerants that are in the equipment that we're dealing with. And then a lot of this at the end of the day, when we're talking about the cold chain, is rooted in the energy supply. Rwanda has one of the world's following rates of expanding electrification in the country. But if we're only thinking about electricity-based solutions, it's going to make things quite challenging. So when you look at things like the governance structure, we have representatives at the highest levels and then more programmatically in the governance that cut across Ministry of Agriculture, Health, Infrastructure, Energy, Environment, Industry Associations. It truly has to be holistic if you're looking at how do we build out the cold chain nationally? What are the real opportunities over the long haul? And a lot of what we see, and this is some getting back to the training question you posed, is that an individual piece of kit dropped in or helicoptered into some rural community X as a piece of demonstration can raise some awareness, but it's not helping you understand how do you optimize that so that when we talk about from farm to fork, where is that fork located? Is it still going to be just the nearest village before something spoils? Or are we looking at a lucrative international market that heretofore was never possible? But unless you have this kind of aggregation across sectors, you have the data informing that process. You've done modeling and optimization runs to figure out where should we best have that uh, aggregation point? Where can the distribution uh, companies get involved? This is going to be really tricky. So a lot of the training we're looking at is getting different people across domains at the table. And this is a question in the policy arena. So the officials get uh, the big picture, small entrepreneurs, agribusinesses, practitioners who need to work on this equipment? Do they understand the safety considerations of the refrigerants? Uh, so on and so forth. So I'll pause there, just touching on a, at a high level, cross-cutting issues. But I guess today, uh, aggregation and then cutting across sectors is going to be critical. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Brian. The aggregation aspect, uh, maybe with that, I can segue to you, Olivier. We've heard about the need for data. We've heard about the roadmap development as a key thing in terms of where we focus our efforts on, on cold chain and how to take this sort of holistic means approach forward. And of course, about working across sectors, whether it's energy, agriculture, environment, infrastructure, ministries, you know, whichever, um, to make sure that this is uh, comprehensively taken forward in countries, the cold chain uh, development. Say, and also this point on the aggregator, what would you say would be, from FAO perspective, is the way forward on international systems to help countries take this sort of um, systems perspective on uh, cold chain? A major weakness of the way we intervene in the countries, which is through sectoral projects. They have to be anchored to sectoral ministry. And, you know, one way to try to get over this major weakness is when, when we go into a country and look at the energy needs for food chains, we recommend that it's usually accepted to have like a multi-sectoral working group and a cross-ministerial working group. But that's just an ad hoc. If you really want something to work and, and have a, a program rather than a project approach, you need almost a, a committee or whatever mechanism super above the sectoral ministry. You know, at the Ministry of Planning, Prime Minister, somewhere there where there's like a committee which would combine health, food and energy, maybe others, maybe water. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then when a, a donor or whatever organization comes and says, I want to do this cold chain for health, that committee says, hang on a second, you need to look at the other sectors. So the country-driven needs should start from there. And you need, you need to send this, this committee, which should be strong enough to tell to the sectoral ministries, you guys need a focal point, a focal unit to work on cold chains. Otherwise, we will ne never reach this integration between sectors. And, and we do that in FAO when we talk about food security, which again, integrates so many sectors. So I think in a way, we are guilty from not having the integration because we always come up with projects. And of course, the countries accept that. So I think from the countries, really, they should be recommended to have this committee super above these sectoral things. And when you have that, then you need to multiply things in different places. Because I think this is from a technology and education point of view, the parallel to the institutional structure that I just suggested. So that, for me, is absolutely crucial. Otherwise, we'll be talking about this integration in, the, in, in 10 years from now. The other thing is you almost need to start from, not from the cold chain aspect, but from the food chain aspect or from the health chain issues. You know, the Bangladeshi project was really great about that because they bumped into some problems because they didn't look at the food chain, maybe, challenges, then, you know, maybe farmers don't, farmers don't care about cold. Uh, maybe they need to be sensitized. And, you know, you need to look at, is there a market for cold chain products or the wet market is enough? Can they afford better quality products? So you need specialists to start from the health and or food chain issues. And then you bring in all the cold chain issues. And I think this is not done enough. You come up with technologies and say, I want to implement my cold chain technologies without giving enough attention on the use of the cold chain. So that's another thing. And for me, another thing which we should do is look at, I call this water energy food nexus. It's, it's hyped as a key sector, but let me illustrate that. 
with one technology which has been hyped as great because you don't need energy. It's the vapor compression technology. Right, you don't need energy, but you need a lot of water because it's about vapor. So if you implement that, then you must make sure that you don't take water from people or from livestock in the first place or from the health sector. So this for me is that is the kind of things that come to my mind. This is one thing on the data. We need to provide intelligence on the cost-benefit analysis, on the location, you know, really solid feasibility analysis. We do that, but we need to do that more. Again, avoiding this te- tendency to come, do a quick and dirty analysis, and then moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Olivia, do you want to ask you a question following on what you said, and that is, what role can FAO play in advancing sustainable cold chains? Look, I think FAO, but not only FAO, I think we need a coalition of international organizations who approach the governments and suggest ways to institutionalize this integrated approach. And this requires efforts because we have money to spend from the banks, we have projects to implement. So we almost need to, as, as a donor, as, no, as a de- development community, together with the countries to explain that and say, well, can you at your governmental level change the way you approach that and we can help you do that? So that's one thing. FAO is in a position where, because we work in 153 countries, other international organizations working in, in many countries as well. So we could, again, in these countries, do a country level approach to this integration, an institutional way forward to integrate these, all these aspects. And okay, aside from that, I mean, of course, in FAO, we combine competence on food chains and on energy for these food chains. WHO combines the same on health, also for cold chains, together with others like SMAP and UNEP. We can also bring in other aspects. But I think first, better integration between ourselves, the way we go into these countries might be difficult, but maybe probably necessary. Thanks, Olivier. I think that's an echo I'm hearing across all of the experts on the panel. But what I would like to give you a chance to come in on is, first of all, I know that ACES is connecting. I think I read the comment from Toby that you are actually connecting from the health perspective and the food perspective. Did you want to comment maybe on on how that experience has been um, responding to what Olivier said? You know, have you been able to come in at that supranational level to coordinate and, and have that entry point in the country in a more global than just a sectoral approach? Sure. Thank you very much. Um, part of the genesis of ACEs was Rwanda had a, a national cooling action plan, which the Cool Coalition has done a tremendous job of, of promoting those. And um, interestingly, when they adopted it, it was adopted at the cabinet level. So you had marching orders coming from the highest levels that flies across government, and it called for explicitly a cold chain strategy that provided, again, the backdrop because we had the backing of Minister of Health, Minister of Education, which is interesting when you think about the training for future generations and then an environment, infrastructure, so on and so forth. So that very model from a Rwanda context is what we're looking at in aggregate for ACEs, though. The governance structure, this isn't a Rwanda center. It happens to have the headquarters housed there, but it's a Pan-African center. So the African Union is part of our governance structure and the steering committee. The East African Community Secretariat, those have, of course, within them, uh, broad brush engagement on these different sectoral areas. So the whole model from the top down is meant to do exactly that. The other thing I just mentioned very quickly is that this is 
all of your center of excellence. This isn't UNEP United for Efficiency Center. It's not the Center for Sustainable Cooling. It's not the Rwandan Government Center. We're all helping to provide an enabling environment. This is an umbrella where we hope to really, truly, perhaps for the first time, bring people together, leveraging their different resources, funding availability, projects, so that we can do this in a joined up way. Let's open up some of the projects, show who's doing what in country X. Um, our first spoke or deployment pathway is going to be in Kenya, for instance. Ton of activity by FAO, World Food Program, World Bank, CLASP, you name it, in Kenya. So we're able to use this in a way to, to say, everybody, we have different areas of expertise. Let's better deploy this in an optimal fashion instead of learning halfway into a project. Oh, organization X also has something going on across the country. Thank you, Brian. I'm in, if I just turn to you very quickly on the data uh, aspect, cost benefit analysis, avoiding the technology approach. How is the data gathering uh, work that you're doing helping that? It doesn't go to the level of cross-benefit analysis, but it includes information on the economics, CAPEX, and OBEX of the existing inventory of application as a starting point. Understanding that we're already having, uh, we are facing a lot of gaps in finding the right and correct data uh, in countries. So the exercise it, itself is intended to be not as a one-time exercise, but it's said to be as a long-term investment to help countries identify the gaps and improve the logging and recording as well as information collecting capacities. Uh, I would like to highlight two things quickly. One is what Olivier mentioned. We are only, only always looking at the food loss side and forget about the food safety. This is very important aspect and there's little information available quantifying the impact of this in relation to the cold chain. The second one is the international policies that is reflecting the cold chain in its literature are very few. We only see this in 2019 in the Rome Declaration of Montreal Protocol in the UNIA decision reflecting the cold chain, sustainable cold chain in the international policy. And I, we have an opportunity with the COP, uh, the climate work that's ongoing in the current years to raise this portfolio to a higher level in terms of the policy in order to set some kind of a scene to the governments in terms of the targets and indicators that can be followed. Because currently some of the governments like Rwanda, they have a visionary, visionary enough to set uh, the cooling action plan at a higher level but the rest of countries would need some kind of an international force to push for that direction. Thanks, Ayman. Maybe Leo, just turning to you. If you could uh, say what is the one priority action that you would promote as a first step towards overcoming uh, some of these challenges and scaling up on, on a robust cold chain development, what would that be? I think I'll just pick up um, what everyone's been saying here. It really is what we can call this multidisciplinary task force with expertise in all the right areas across the right teams but frankly as i'm saying this it sounds like a dream team you know it is how realistic is this what i would like to finish on i'd say what is needed is serving the needs of a government who is elected to represent its people we need to think of them as the main what is their capacity for absorption what is realistic for them what are their other priorities let's work in harness together but maybe bringing the expertise to them rather than demanding so much of them. I would like to think, and particularly as the World Bank, we're often there working with the government ministries and we know firsthand the challenges they have of simply operating and reaching their other mandates. So let's not forget the context within which we operate. Thank you. 
with that, I'll just say thank you to all of our expert panelists. We I just will say a quick shout out that we do at the Cool Coalition have a cold chain working group, and we are trying to promote the efforts of all of you here so that some of the awareness issues can be overcome, which might be a precursor to setting up those supranational committees that uh, bring the different ministries together. Where we can help, please be in touch and uh, hopefully we can have you join our cold chain working group efforts at the Cool Coalition. And with that, I'll just thank all of our panelists. Thank you so much. was the tip of the iceberg from the Institute of Refrigeration and I'm Miriam Rodway. We hope you're enjoying our podcasts. Please like and share and follow the podcast and join us on the next edition. Thank you.